I always find that line in that uh, song, in uh, verse 3, he fights for breath. He fights for me. Uh, it's an insight, isn't it, into what crucifixion was all about for our Saviour. Loosing sinners from the claims of hell. And with a shout, our souls are free. With a loud cry, uh, Jesus uh, declared his victory. It is finished. Uh, the cost of our salvation was, was great. Well, let's turn again to Proverbs chapter 3. And uh, we're going to look this evening at verses 9 and 10. Proverbs chapter 3 and verses 9 and 10. And where we read this, Honour the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. Now we may not have barns or vats, <laughs> but the, the truth of the, the verses are very real for us, because the great principle is, honour the Lord with your Wealth and wealth doesn't mean we've got to be very rich, it is whatever material things the Lord has blessed us. And what we're looking at this evening really is the corollary to what we looked at this morning. We were thinking this morning of giving thanks for all the blessings that God gives us. This evening we're saying, Well, what are we to do with the things that God gives us? Uh, sometimes we draw a distinction between the sacred and the secular, but actually, the, the things of ordinary life are part of how we live for God. Honour the Lord with your wealth is the injunction here. And it links with uh, some verses earlier in the chapter. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Uh, trusting in the Lord covers again the whole of life, including our wealth, our finances. Uh, it's true not only in times of trouble and difficulty, but it reminds us that we're constantly to consider how God wants us to live and to order our affairs and to use the, the wealth that he has committed to us properly. Uh, some Christians may have money problems. They're short of the money they need. They're perhaps not good at managing money. Uh, they may use the money unwisely and may incur debt. It, it's staggering. Uh, the amount of debt that people have in our society today. And uh, Christians are not exempt from that. And uh, so it's important to be able to trust the Lord and to acknowledge him in that sphere of our lives. And uh, to say, well, Lord, please help me and provide for me in my situation. Sometimes we may get to a point in our life where we've got more wealth than we need. And then how do we honour the Lord with what he has given to us. Uh, statistics about wealth in the world are, are very striking. Where is most of the wealth in the world found? I think very often we think, well, it must be in the oil-rich states and so on, Muslim states. But actually, 55% of the total wealth in the world belongs to those who are in the Christian part of the world. Uh, and only 6% is in the Muslim part of the world. Now, of course, in Christian countries, not everybody is a Christian. But it does remind us how much God has committed to those who, at least in a nominal sense, acknowledge Jesus. Hindus, just 3%. Jewish people, just 1%. And people with no religion, 35%. 
Apparently, this was 2015, there were more than 13 million billionaires in the world. And 56% of them are Christians, professing Christians within the wider group. So in other words, the Lord has committed to those people and those countries where, where the gospel has been made known a vast amount of wealth and resources. And here in the Proverbs we're told to honour the Lord as individuals with the wealth that he has committed to us. Now, so let's begin with that principle. Honour the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Because reverence and honour to God are due at all times, in all things, by all people. And the exhortation is to honour the Lord, just as in verse 5 is to trust in the Lord, in Jehovah, Yahweh, uh, the eternal, unchanging, covenant redeemer. These are commands are given to the Lord's people in the Old Testament and hence to those who are Christians in the New. Our God is the great I Am. He's the creator of all things, the sustainer of all things, the provider. Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. He's the absolute owner of all things. The psalmist says in Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. The earth is the Lord's. Everybody who lives in the world is the Lord's. And James in his letter says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. So we saw this morning he gives good gifts to the good and the evil. Uh, and even to those who are wicked people, they receive uh, gracious gifts from his hand. And Paul writes to the Corinthians, he says, what do you have that you did not receive? Receive from God, the one who gives and gives again. And so honoring God means that we are stewards of what he has committed to us. It's not a question of how much we've got. Uh, it's how do we use what the Lord has committed to us? And uh, do we offer gifts to him. One of the old commentators, Matthew Poole, says we should use our possessions not only to please and advance ourselves and our family, but to glorify God. That's the challenge. Honour God. Glorify him with your wealth. And we do that by offerings. Uh, we do that in order to uh, further the work of God's kingdom, the work of the gospel uh, in the local church and more widely as well. And also to, to care uh, for people who need to be provided for. Uh, Matthew Paul calls them God's deputies or the collectors of his rents. Uh, ministers of the gospel, missionaries, uh, Christians who are in need and indeed all who are in need. It's not only a question of caring for fellow Christians uh, but for others as we shall see as well. And the reason we do it is, is because we love God. We respect him. He is worthy uh, to be honoured with our wealth. We want to obey him in this part of our life just as in every other part of our life. It's really an act of gratitude to him. It's a form of thanksgiving, as we were thinking this morning. Because he is our great benefactor and he's given us all that we have. It's also a sign of our trust in him, uh, that we believe his promises, that he will provide for us. 
And Derek Kidner, in his commentary on Proverbs, says, For such giving, in the face of material pressures, is a simple test of faith. And if you've ever sat down and worked out how you might honor God with your wealth, part of what you think is, if I give that money to God, will I be all right? Will I manage? And Kidner says, that's a test of faith. Uh, and then he says, which if we believe this promise, the most covetous person would be the most generous person. If we believe the second part of the, the promise, when your ba- then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Then he would say, well, if I give to the Lord, he provides for me. Perhaps you've experienced that as you've sought to honor him with your wealth. You know, we honor him when we say that God comes first and God receives the best. He's not last and least, he is the first. And we want to begin with honoring him with the things that he has committed to us. And the verse says, with the first fruits of all your crops. It's a lovely principle in the Old Testament of giving the first fruits to God. In Deuteronomy, Moses says, when you have entered the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance and have taken possession of it and settled in it, take some of the first fruits of all that you produce from the soil of the land the Lord your God is giving you and put them in a basket. Then go to the place the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name and say to the priest in office of the time, I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come to the land the Lord swore to our ancestors to give us. We, we were in your land, that land flowing with milk and honey. And the, this is the first fruit. These are the first fruits of the trees. These are the first crops of the land. And, and I want to give you the first fruits because they were living in the promised land. They were a redeemed people whom God had redeemed out of Egypt. And God was the giver and they joyfully worshipped him. So the offering of the first fruits was a, a joyful thing. And the whole giving of the Lord's people is to be a joyful thing. Um, later on in that same chapter in Deuteronomy, Moses talks about the tithe, the tenth of what uh, God has given us. When you have finished setting aside a tenth of all your produce in the third year, the year of the tithe, then you shall give it, and this is interesting, to the Levite, that is the priests, the foreigner, that is the non-Israelite, the fatherless and the widow, so that they may eat in your towns and be satisfied. And and so there's a, a purpose in giving, that those who have less, those who are vulnerable might be provided for. And Moses goes on to speak about a sacred portion He says, then say to the Lord your God, I have removed from my house the sacred portion and have given it to the Levite, the foreigner, the fatherless and the widow, according to all you commanded. So this is sacred. It's been set aside for God and then offered. And later in that same 26th chapter of Deuteronomy, Uh, Moses says, look down from heaven your holy dwelling place and bless your people Israel and the land you have given us as you promised on oath to our ancestors. A land flowing with milk and honey. You see, there's that same principle. Offer the first fruits. Offer the tithe. Offer the sacred portion. And then look to God for him to bless you. 
In the New Testament, Paul explains to the Corinthians what it means to honor God with our wealth. He says, on the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up. So when I come, no collections will have to be made. That was a collection for other Christians who were in need. But uh, a principle, regular, setting aside, in keeping with our income, and uh, giving it to the Lord and to his people. So a portion of our wealth belongs to God. It's his money, not ours. And uh, we seek to set it aside as a, a sacred privilege as we honor him. And every Christian has to decide, well, how much of my income belongs to God? How do I decide? What can I afford? And uh, the principle in the Old Testament and the New is proportional, as the Lord has prospered us. It's interesting, the principle of tithing was was something spontaneous when it first began. Uh, We read of Abraham uh, going to... uh, set his uh, nephew Lot free, who's been captured by four kings. And Abraham leads his men out and uh, he sets uh, Lot and all his possessions free. And as he's coming back from that victory, he meets, uh, in some ways, a mysterious figure, Melchizedek. He's the king of Salem, that is Jerusalem. And uh, Melchizedek brings out bread and wine. And he was priest of God Most High and he blessed Abraham saying, Blessed be Abraham by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to God Most High who delivered your enemies into your hand. So he, he says to Abraham, this victory you've won is, is God's doing. He has blessed you and given you the victory. And then we're told that Abraham gave him a tenth of everything, everything he'd taken. It was a spontaneous thing. It was response to God's goodness in blessing him in that battle. The same is true of Jacob. As he sets out to seek a wife and he, he comes to Bethel and he sleeps overnight and he, he has a dream, a dream of a, a stairway reaching up to heaven with angels ascending and descending on it. And it, it's a time of danger for Jacob. His brother Esau hates him, has said he's going to kill him. And Jacob's out in the country. It's a, a vulnerable place. And then he realizes that, that God is in this place and he didn't know it. And then he makes a vow and he says, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God and this stone that I set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. You see, it's again, it's a spontaneous response. It isn't God saying you must give a tenth. It's Abram responding to God's help in winning a victory and setting Lot free. It's Jacob responding to the God who has said, I am with you. But then in Deuteronomy, it is set out, as we've seen, as a principle. Jesus himself speaks about uh, a tenth, a tithe. And he takes a seat with the Pharisees because he says, you give a tenth of your mint, the herbs and rue and all the other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice. And the love of God. And he said you should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. He he just says it's a a given that we honor God with our wealth. When we lived in North Wales in the village of Harden just near where we lived. There was the old tithe barn uh, where the tithes were brought in. And those tithes were played by everybody in the parish whether they went to the church or not. 
the domination of the, the parish, parish system, but it was a literal tithe of the, of the produce of the farms in the area that came in to the tithe barns. And so here's the principle. God deserves and shall have the best. And uh, we want to honour him uh, with the first fruits of all our crops. Matthew Henry says, God who is first and best must have the first and best of everything. His right is prior to all other. So that's the principle. Honour the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. And then there's this promise. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. It's a general principle. Again, Derek Kidner says, God would not be so much honours as invested in by our gifts if we took this in a materialistic way. And yet it is a promise that God will provide for us and countless Christians have experienced the truth of these words as they've taken seriously this principle and then trusted God to provide for them. Perhaps you can remember a time when you first faced up to this principle of giving proportionally. Perhaps before that you'd always given at the end of your budget when there wasn't much left. And then you said, no, I must set aside that part which I've set aside to God first. And it looked a very significant amount. And you wondered how you would manage. And now you can say, he has provided for me. If I, as I have sought to honour him, then the barns have been filled and the vats have brimmed over. And uh, the principle of annual crops, we're remembering harvest today. Uh, the dependence upon annual crops being gathered, upon the rain and the sun and the work of the farmers providing everything we need, reminds us of our dependence upon God. And uh, one man says, we are mistaken if we think that giving will undo us and make us poor. No giving for God's honour. As I know, he says, giving for God's honour will make us rich. They that do good with what they have shall have more to do good with. We gave what we have and we, we received back from his hand. And so we have the promises of God. Isn't it a wonderful thing to, to believe the promises of God? Again, going into the land, uh, the land of Canaan, uh, the people were warned uh, because it was a good land, a, a land of abundance, not to be led astray. Moses said, if you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations. All these blessings will come to you and accompany you if you obey the Lord. Again, it's that trusting the Lord and recognizing everything comes from him. You may remember the story of Elijah and the widow of Zarephath. It's the time of Ahab and Jezebel. It's a time of great wickedness in Israel. And there's uh, a drought for three years. No rain. And the crops don't grow. And the animals are dying. And uh, God first provides for Elijah with a brook. And the ravens bringing him food. But then the brook dries up. And uh, Elijah goes to the widow of Zarephath. And and when he comes to her, she's, she's just got a small amount of flour and some oil. 
and she's got a few sticks and she said, I'm, I'm just about to make some bread for myself and my son before we die. And Elijah says, well, make the bread and make it for you and your son and for me. And he says, the Lord is going to provide for you in a most remarkable way. And she does that. And uh, Elijah, Elijah says, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. She has had that little bit, but what she gave was blessed and multiplied by God. It's the principle of the, the boy with his food. He's bought his lunch, five small barley loaves and two small fish. And he gives it all to the disciples who give it to Jesus. And Jesus takes it and he, he multiplies it and feeds thousands of people with those few things. I wonder how you and I would be. And I'd probably say, look, I've got five loaves. Do you mind if I keep one? And I've got two small fish. Can I have half that fish and you can have the rest? But this boy eats from the multiplied food that the Lord has provided out of the little that he has offered. And it's a wonderful principle, isn't it, of how when we give to the Lord, when we honour him, he, he blesses, he multiplies. It, it's so different, isn't it, from our materialistic society and that acquisitive sense. What's mine is my own, and I've got rights and so on. It's all part of our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and our trusting in him. And we want to honour him with our wealth and to give him the first fruits. And so there's a a principle, well, there's a promise. And uh, it's a wonderful thing to obey the principle and trust in God for the promise. And just some things as I draw to a close, some practical applications. The more God gives us, the more careful we need to be honouring him, giving as God prospers. In other words, it, it's a rate which will change there will be times in the life when perhaps we have more than enough and to spare. And there are temptations in times like that. Uh, temptations to honour ourselves. In Deuteronomy, Moses said to the people, when they went into the land and they began to enjoy the plenty, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. And then he says, but remember the Lord your God. For it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. My power, my strength, that, that's the temptation. I, I'm a self-made person. I, I've earned this and I, I want to keep it. And he says, no, remember. Remember that it's the Lord your God who gives you the ability, the strength to do it, but also his blessing upon what you give. And so we may honour ourselves with what we've got rather than the Lord. And then we may set our hearts on and trust in our wealth. You know how easy it is sometimes to look and say, well, uh, I think I've got enough now for, uh, for the future. And to say, I need to keep that if I'm going to be secure. So we're not trusting in the Lord, we're trusting in what we have. And Jesus said, don't set your hearts and trust in wealth. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. That danger of laying up and trusting 
in what we have. And so the more God prospers us, the more careful we need to be to honour him. And then it's, it's a joyful privilege for a Christian to use our earthly wealth for promoting the gospel. Uh, it's amazing how much money people spend on, on the interests that they have. You know, if somebody follows a Premier League football club, or for that matter, a lesser club, what it costs for a season ticket, what it costs to buy the kit, what it costs to travel to away games and so on. And it, it's very great expense and people spend lots of money on sport and entertainment and leisure and pleasure. But our faith is much more than a hobby or an interest. It's really saying we want God's kingdom to prosper. And the Lord commits to us collectively the resources that are needed in order to ensure that happens. We've begun looking at uh, the prophecy of Malachi in the midweek and uh, they've helpfully opened that up for us on Wednesday evening. And uh, later in Malachi in chapter 3, there's a, there's a question asked of the people. Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? And the answer is in tithes and offerings. You're under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there, will be not, there won't be room to store it. And so do we keep that portion which belongs to God? We're to honour him with our wealth. And so he's teaching us here that a dedicated income, an income that honours him, becomes a multiplied income. Uh, the principle of Haggai. We've looked at Haggai, I think, recently. And they were settling in the land after the exile. And uh, it was difficult uh, to get the walls later under Nehemiah built, the temple rebuilt, and to establish their own lines. And they started to give Priority, we'll get our homes sorted out first. And, and their homes were, were very luxurious. They, they had the best for their homes, but they were neglecting building the temple. And uh, Haggai brought God's word to them. Now this is what the Lord Almighty says, give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. And when the people hear what God is saying through Haggai and start to build the temple again, God's word to them is this. From this day on, I will bless you. You've honoured me, I will fulfil my promise. What a wonderful thing it is to... To know that in our lives, as we honour the Lord and he keeps his promise to provide for us. There's that lovely story, isn't there, in the Gospels of the, the widow who comes to offer her offering to God. It just reminds us that God is, is not interested in the amount, in absolute terms of the offering, but the significance of it. Jesus was sitting, watching people putting their offerings in, and many rich people put in large amounts, probably making sure that everybody saw them. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins with only a few cents. 
Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty put in everything she had, all she had to live on. And you think, yes, Jesus sees this, this widow felt moved to give the little that she had. No doubt trusting that God would provide for her. No wonder, do you think that that widow went home to die? Because she'd given all that she had to the Lord. It's sure, isn't, he, isn't it, that he provided for her. Because that is his promise. As we honour him, the barns will be filled and the vats will bring brim over. And so the New Testament encourages us to, to give out of our wealth to the Lord. To give to further the work of the gospel, to give to the needy, wherever they may be. And uh, Paul sums it up like this. He says, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And then he says this, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Do you see how whenever there is that exhortation to give, there is the promise of the God who provides. And so we are not reluctant or compelled to do it, because God loves a cheerful given. So this morning we gave thanks for all that the Lord has given to us. And this evening we have this uh, great principle and promise. Honour the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine.